0: Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for Decoder comes from Splunk. You need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. With Splunk, you can get more control with unified security and observability, so you can sidestep those disruptions. Splunk helps you predict problems and fix and find issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. Some of the world's largest enterprises already rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. It's time to react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com resilience.
1: Hello, and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neelai Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today, I'm talking to Anjali Sood, the CEO of Vimeo. You probably think of Vimeo as a smaller competitor to YouTube. The company's been around for 16 years, and that's what it was for most of that time. But when Anjali took over as CEO, she stopped all that and reinvented Vimeo as a software company that serves video creators. And that business is booming. At the end of 2020, Vimeo had over 1.5 million paying customers, generating 83 million in revenue. In fact, Vimeo was growing so fast in 2020 that it accidentally turned a profit in the third quarter, even as the company was trying to reinvest in growth. Later this year, Vimeo is going to go public in a spinoff from its parent company, IAC. That's a remarkable success story, and it's all because Anjali decided to stop competing with YouTube and Netflix and Disney Plus and other consumer video companies and find a better market to play in. But it also means that, well, there still aren't any great competitors to YouTube. I asked Anjali about that, about where Vimeo sits in the creator economy and how she sees the company growing in the future. And of course, we talked about what it's gonna be like to run Vimeo as a public company. One thing to note, I'm fascinated by how the internet has made it so hard for content itself to be valuable. We rarely pay for a song, or a movie, or a podcast directly anymore. You might pay for a subscription that gets you access to a library of content, or advertisers might pay to borrow some of your attention, but it's almost impossible to build a business around selling the actual work there's always another business model paying the bills right now. Pay attention to that in this conversation. It's what I keep coming back to, and it very much shapes how Anjali sees her business. Okay, Anjali Su, CEO of Vimeo. Here we go. Anjali Sood, you're the CEO of Vimeo. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I have a million questions for you, but there is a lot going on with Vimeo, so I just want to start there. You became the CEO a few years ago. You did a massive pivot away from the sort of Netflix, YouTube original content model that has been successful. You're about to go public. Just give me the quick background. How did you become CEO? What are the changes you made, and how are you headed into going public?
2: Yeah. So probably the most important part of the background is. Vimeo is a 16-year-old video platform, but we're really sort of three, four years into uh, a very different strategy. And I became CEO to pivot the company, as you said, away from being um, a viewing destination or a media platform like Facebook or YouTube or Netflix, and uh, really into a video SaaS or software company for businesses, much more like a, a Slack um, or a Dropbox model, uh, but for video. I became CEO, actually, I'm almost hitting four years, which is wild, but I became CEO a little bit randomly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I joined the company about six years ago as a director of marketing, and while doing that job, kind of just developed a point of view, myself and a few others within the company, that you know, we probably weren't going to compete well with Netflix in original content because we probably weren't going to have 17 billion dollars to spend on (laughs) content. But we had always catered to filmmakers and professional video creators. And we were seeing this very natural adoption on the platform of video, not just by these sort of professional creators, and not just by consumers, but actually by businesses, small businesses, large organizations, uh, the same way every business had a website. It seemed like a lot of businesses now wanted to use video to communicate. We kind of proved that thesis internally, and then ultimately made that the strategy of Vimeo. And you know, our investors and board gave me the opportunity to, to run it.
1: One of the things that's really interesting about that is you talked about how much money Netflix has to spend on content, it is a huge number and rising. They're up against Disney. Warner Media is going to spend all of AT and T's money on content. That's, I get it. The premium content space is big and rich and difficult. But YouTube is built on user generated content, right? I mean, it kind of at the basic level, YouTube doesn't spend any money on content compared to the amount of content on YouTube. What kept you from competing with that?
2: I think it's a really different problem that we're each trying to solve fundamentally YouTube is still focused on entertainment and their business model is advertising so YouTube wants to attract creators and content to their platform they want to keep eyeballs and time on site up on their platform because that's how they make money Vimeo has actually never made money from advertising we've always been a subscription product and specifically we sort of monetize through the actual creators accessing our tools uh, and so that's a very different model and what it means is that we are not focused on eyeballs and content on Vimeo. And we actually don't want Vimeo to be an entertainment destination where people come. We want to help businesses, professionals create video content and get it wherever their audience or their customers or their employees are. And that actually... Most times, that means it's off Vimeo, and we actually build tools to help you put your content on Facebook and YouTube and in your secure company portal and on your website and on your blog, Uh, and that's actually how we are successful, and then thereby how we make money. Our goal isn't to entertain and to then monetize through entertainment. Our goal is to help any business or professional or organization use video the same way that they use text or image as a powerful way to communicate. And so it's just a very different business model, very different problem to solve. And you know I think you could have argued maybe 10 years ago we could have opened up to ads. We could have competed with YouTube. I have no idea what would have happened if we had done that early (laughs) enough. Maybe Vimeo would have been another YouTube. But I look at the landscape today and I don't think the world needs five more YouTubes. But especially since the pandemic, every business, every team I have talked to needs professional quality video to be easier so that they can use it to communicate.
1: I guess what I would say is That is probably correct for Vimeo's business. But I talk to a lot of creators on the show. And sort of the life cycle of a YouTube creator is the inflection point where they make a video about how they're mad at YouTube. (laughs) And they're all like, where's my competitor to YouTube? Where's the place I could go if I'm this mad at YouTube? And there isn't one. And I imagine that pressure for Vimeo, which has the brand recognition, which has the history, remains high. And you've you've kept steering away from it. Why have you kept steering away from it?
2: It's a fair point. I do think we hear that a lot. And I we are steering away from it. And fundamentally, it's because we don't believe that uh, we can best serve the creators and businesses in the world if our incentive is advertising and to keep content on our platform. We want our success to be aligned with the success of those creators. And if you actually talk to most of them, The reason they want a competitor to YouTube is because they want to be able to monetize their content in other ways. And I'll give you actually an example of one of the ways we are solving this that's not competing with YouTube. We provide a a tool set that allows any creator to stand up their own Netflix-like service. They own the brand. They can stand up their own apps, Amazon, Roku, iOS, website. They can charge whatever they want. They own the customer. They own the email. They own the relationship. And basically what a lot of YouTube creators are doing is they reach a certain amount of size and they're like, wow, I can make way more money if I get a subset of uh, of my followers on YouTube to actually come and subscribe to my own channel and pay me directly. I can make more money than just purely on an ad model basis. And so that's a great example. Like that product, it's called our Vimeo OTT product, it's its on fire right now. It's growing incredibly fast and we're seeing so many creators and um, brands, everybody from like the yoga instructor to the church starting to do <laughs> this. And, and I think that's awesome, right? Like That's a way you can support creators, put more money in their pockets, help them take their brand and the following they built on YouTube and turn it into a thriving, sustainable business. But that doesn't require Vimeo to become a social media platform, which we have no interest in doing.
1: You've gone from being where people distribute and monetize, which is how most people think about YouTube, to a cost for creators that will enable revenue in other ways. Creators don't love costs, right? I mean, these are pretty low-margin businesses on the whole. How do, you, how do you make that sale over and over again?
2: Yeah, uh, I think it's it's really interesting for the most part, what we're providing is usually a a level of robustness and capabilities that not only don't exist elsewhere for these creators, but if they tried to do it themselves, the cost would be astronomically higher. So I'll give you an example. If you were like, I want to build a Netflix (laughs) service. Right? You would literally have to hire a set of engineers to build your website and your app and designers to create the template for you. And you would need uh, somebody to answer your customer support calls. and you would need uh, an analytics person to to sort of give you a sense of how your your business is doing and your reports. And if you took all of the costs of doing that, not just the time but the money, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what we're doing in in many ways is radically lowering the barriers through our technology. And the reason we can do that is because we're doing it at scale. If we were only serving, you know, 100 customers, we would never be able to justify that. But we have 200 million users on our site. We have over 1.5 million paying customers today. And so we are actually offering, I would say, very disruptive pricing for what you can actually do. And by the way, we're also not sort of and in a point of stasis, like our goal is to continue to simplify, simplify, simplify the user experience and the the process to creating content and distributing that content and to keep reducing the costs. Um, But I would just say like the costs are not just dollars, they're time, they're complexity, they're know-how. And that's where I think Vimeo is really uniquely positioned because we've always been this this platform that serves like the most discerning of creators, you know, the filmmakers, but also with like a really intuitive, friendly consumer UX. And uh, everything that we hear from users and customers, at least, is that, wow, I didn't even know I could do this. I didn't even know it was a possibility for me, a you know, one person yoga instructor to live stream my classes online and build a whole business, or I'm a dance studio, and now I'm able to go from an audience of a hundred in person to hundreds of thousands with a few clicks in a few hours. I think the key is really just that we're offering capabilities that have not been even remotely in the hands of these individuals before. It was always only in the hands of large studios that had huge budgets.
1: Walk me through what those capabilities are with a little more specificity, right? I mean, you can do a lot of things in a lot of places. What are the set of capabilities that Vimeo specifically offers?
2: So uh, I'll give you a couple examples of uh, the capabilities in the context of some of the users. So if you are a flower shop a mom, or a mom and pop restaurant, today you want to drive traffic to your website or to your store. And the way you're going to do that is probably on Instagram or on social media. Maybe you need to post five times a week. And uh, we all know that social media platforms prioritize video because it's more engaging, gets higher clicks than image and text. But if you asked a mom and pop shop, hey, like you should hire a crew and write a script and shoot a video and edit it, and, you know, using you know professional software. And then you get a f- 20 second video that has a shelf life of a day and do that five times a week. Like that's really hard. We have an app that does that for you and literally allows you in a matter of minutes with templates, AI, stock license footage, music, all of it. We take it all and boil it down for you so you can create video for social media to drive your customers to your site or your store in a matter of minutes. That's one example of a capability. Another would be the examples I was giving of like the yoga instructor or the dance studio that wants to live stream their classes. They want to stand up a video portal. They want to uh, be able to live stream a bunch of classes, put a paywall, charge whatever they want in whatever region they want. They want customer support. They want email support. Uh, They want to be able to basically have a video business uh, and they want to be able to do that without worrying about the cost or the technological implications so that they can focus on actually the content of their classes. That's another example. And then the third example would be like a large Fortune 500 company, like a Rite Aid or an Amazon or Starbucks and they're using us to do things like securely broadcast CEO town halls or HR trainings to their stores all around the world. They want to be able to do that securely in extremely high quality. So don't think not the like one-to-one sort of Zoom experience, but the this feels like I'm a I'm watching like concert. And there's engagement, and you've got graphics and switching, all happening live. And we're basically providing that capability that was once sort of a TV studio capability. We're providing that now in the hands of um, comms teams and HR professionals. Which is, you know, obviously since the pandemic has been extremely beneficial <laughs> and needed, but those are all examples of the breadth of what we provide. Our mission is to enable professional quality video for all. So think of it as like all of the things that, you know, a studio was, was able to do with video. We're trying to democratize that for any business or professional.
1: I feel like I ask a lot of people future of work questions, and I've never gotten the future of work as your HR team has a video switcher before. <laughs> and that, yeah, it's good. It, that's a huge range of things that you described, right? There, there's a first product that feels, sounds a lot like iMovie for small businesses. And there's another product at the end, which is you acquired Livestream, and they make hardware products and cameras, and you're selling professional broadcast equipment. And somewhere in the middle of that is. We do a lot of video encoding and distribution, so you don't have to worry about it. And it's, That's a lot of white label solutions. But there is still a Vimeo.com that is a consumer-facing product that has a rep for being where filmmakers go. How does that all wrap together?
2: If you actually go to our website today, what you will see is a very traditional software SaaS website. And that's because it reflects our strategy, which is not Mm -hmm. to be a consumer destination. You're absolutely right, though. If you ask most people today what Vimeo is, they think we're the indie version of YouTube because that's what we were for 10 years. (laughs) And it's a challenge for us. It's something that we have to combat. But what I can tell you is if anyone goes to the site and sees what we are putting out there, we really aren't trying to be that destination in any way. And so, you know, it's just something that we, from an awareness perspective, you know, most startups, their challenge is making people aware of what they do. We have sort of the added challenge of actually changing perception because we shifted our strategy, but we're known for something very different. Um, And I think that's just something that is going to take time and we have to get better at. But I think to your point on all the breadth of what we do, it is true if you look at the offering, we're enabling people to create content collaborate on content, distribute content, monetize content, see analytics. It's a very broad offering, and we're doing it for businesses of all size, from the solo entrepreneur or startup all the way up to a Fortune 500 company. So it is quite broad, but I think uh, that's because we think the market is huge and we're ambitious and we're fortunate in that we have a very broad and deep uh, solution, and we actually think that's a major competitive advantage. You know, since the pandemic... The plus was the demand for our, for video tools and our products exploded. The downside is like the secret was out that this was a great <laughs> industry. For years, we'd been like, this is a thing. And everyone, investors were like, is it a thing? And now, you know, there's going to be a million startups with funding to kind of come into this space. And what I would say is like, this is where I believe if you want to really lower the barriers to professional quality video it's gotta be so easy and simple that you can use one software provider. You don't have to have like six different tools and moving your content from one place to another to do X, Y, and Z. Like it just needs to be centralized and simple. It's not gonna happen in a year. It's gonna take us, I, I say we think of this market in terms of decades, not years. But, uh, but I do think we're like really, really well positioned
1: because of that breath. So let me ask you about a different uh, competitor, Adobe. Right? I mean, you were building a lot of tools that sound an awful lot like Premiere Pro and Adobe's various distribution pipelines and Adobe's partnerships. Adobe has a massive ad business that helps people. Monitor. Like, They're a huge company. They're not YouTube. I feel very proud of myself for not asking you about YouTube anymore, but you're talking about competing with Premiere and iMovie and whatever else video software that people are using in a different way, in a cloud-based way, which is a shift in work for people is that your head-on competitor? Is it, is it Adobe?
2: It's actually not. It's funny. Um, you would think it would be, but the reality is if you actually look at Adobe's tools, and Adobe is an incredibly successful business, and actually it's a company we look at often in terms of how they've scaled as a model, but if you actually look at who uses Adobe Premiere Pro, it is professional video creators. It's filmmakers. Like There's a 500-page training manual for how to use Adobe Premiere Pro. What we've done is build the tool for the pizza shop owner who doesn't, they're not a creator, they're not a storyteller, they're not a technologist. They're literally just trying to grow their business. And it's got to be that simple. And it's a very different um, DNA, I would say, to build that kind of a product. And I don't think that's where Adobe's sweet spot has been. Um, and I would also say, you know, there's other benefits that we have as a platform. One is the fact that we have this embeddable video player that is out there on millions of sites and on all of these social media platforms. We actually collect data around how videos perform everywhere on the web. And we can use that data to better uh, feed our own tool set so that we can actually say like, hey, we're going to help you make better video content because you're the pizza shop or you're the real estate broker or you're the yoga instructor. And so in some ways it's not just that we're serving a different kind of user um, that needs a different kind of offering, but it's also that like we are a cloud-based video player that's all over the web and so we kind of have something quite unique, I would say um, to Adobe. Now is it it's totally possible Adobe, by the way gets into this space in the future? Um and you know I think there're going to be a lot of players I expect that will get into the space in the future and then it's just on us to have the best product and we have to just keep working but I think we have a really material head start I would say.
1: Yeah 16 years is pretty good. A uh, famous brand. Let me push you on data collection. You've got a web-based player I can embed the Vimeo player on the verge.com and people can hit play and then you can collect data like when do people drop off? Did purple videos perform better than blue ones. There's like a whole data collection conversation I have about that, but that's like the basics of what you can do. But you've also talked about how easy Vimeo makes it to distribute to Facebook and YouTube. Can you collect that same data from those platforms?
2: Yeah, so today we distribute content, on, to your point, on on your website using our player and then also natively allow you to publish videos to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, like all these players. And each of them has, and we do it through an API with each of them, and each of them allows us to kind of collect certain types of Of data and um, it varies by platform. It's not as robust. We're obviously we're always going to be able to collect more information on you know when you use our embeddable player than if you're natively publishing through our APIs. But we are still able to collect data around engagement um and so we we do feed that data that happens on social media platforms into the sort of collection that we're doing but it's it's at a, it's at a different level it's not the same level of granularity and you know by the way I, who knows what you know each of those platforms will have their own views i'm sure on on how much data they will share and and, and, <laughs> and how but but what i will tell you is actually you know what's funny is that we used to compete with youtube and now we distribute to youtube and we're a partner of youtube's and from what i know from the conversations we have with our partners like they want us to be successful in helping creators make content because that's helping them get content onto their platform so in many ways like we're really not competitive we are complementary and so i think there's a real incentive for them if we can make it easier for great high performing engaging content to get made and put on their site that is good for those platforms
1: let me ask you a really reductive question you keep saying content but then you keep talking about who your customers are and it feels like what we're really talking about is making better video ads, right? Like at the end of the day, at the small business, like the flower shop that is making the stock footage iMovie in your cloud tools, like making an ad. And they're putting it on Instagram to convert into people buying flowers. I actually have a friend who has a yoga studio. And in the pandemic, she started streaming on, on Vimeo. And at the end, that is like commercial content. And she had to go market it and get people to, to pay for it. Like people don't love ads, right? Like the the content people go to YouTube for is not necessarily the ads. A little bit of it is, I hope, at least is like artistry and like yeah. creativity. What is the, the mesh point there?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I see two things about it. One, for sure, video ads are one key type of content. It really isn't the only kind of content. We see mm-hmm. tons of businesses of all sizes creating brand videos for their website, creating customer support videos, product demos. Um, it's a, I think the, the thing we, we sort of forget is like video as a medium is just like, think about all the ways we communicate on in-person, voice, text, image, video is so engaging and it should be used in every way we communicate. And actually the fact that we today think that ads is the main thing is the problem. And that's what we're trying to solve is make it so easy that you can, anyone can create video for everything. So first I would say our view is that video's power as a medium is not being tapped to its full potential by most businesses and we wanna make that easier. Second, I would say I would rather help a small business if, if the right way for them to reach their customers is through advertising which makes sense i mean your customers are on all these social media platforms we do want to help you do that what we're not going to do is focus on one platform we are going to be agnostic and we're going to help you reach and engage with your customers in whatever format you want we are not fundamentally or philosophically against advertising but what we are not going to do is put our own, is it's sort of munge the incentives so that we are putting stuff in your own over your own content. I'll give you an example. YouTube has an embeddable video player, but if you, and it's free by the way, so you're know <laughs> more expensive. But if you use YouTube's embeddable video player, there is YouTube branding and they control what videos like, are populated after you watch that content and they drive people back to YouTube. And so that's that's where I think there's a big difference because that's not in the best interest of that small business. Small business wants to get customers to their website they want to own the relationship with the customer. They're trying to grow their business. And that's where I think there's just a, that that's where we draw the line. Like everything we do has to be aligned with growing that business, not monetizing content on video.
1: One of my favorite stories that we ran on The Verge during the pandemic was the explosion of small business TikTok. And, it, you know, it's just like people with pressure washers and leaf blowers and uh, people putting in bathroom sinks and like they all go viral. Pressure washer TikTok is amazing. I think about TikTok and I think what kind of goes under covered with TikTok is that half of the user experience is an enormously powerful video editor, right? With, with filters and a huge licensed music library and the ability to respond to other videos and on and on and on. That's an entire generation that's coming up with the language of video editing just embedded in how they communicate. Is that pushing your team? Or are you waking up and being like, oh man, we gotta add video filters to the Vimeo creation set?
2: Absolutely. So I think the point that the next generation of creators are super savvy, and, and it's not even that the tools of like what TikTok is offering is advanced, it's that consumer expectations are changing, right? Like we now expect, whether it's from a small brand or, you know, Netflix, super engaging content, and it needs to be like edited in a cool way. And it's just like has to constantly attract our attention. And so we do think about that a lot. We acquired a company in Israel last year that was basically like the business version of video AI video editing. And they spent 10 years, was founded by PhDs in AI, and they spent 10 years Actually, initially from a consumer lens, and then moved to the business, like sort of transitioned. How do you make that content super engaging? So I think um, the same kind of capabilities in many in many ways. Those are the capabilities that we're bringing to businesses. We're just not only helping them make content for TikTok. We're also helping them make content for Instagram and, you know, their website and all these other places. But absolutely, I think, you know, everything from filters to different styles and templates and the kind of music you use and and how videos are optimized by platform, it's all evolving. And we're very focused on that. We have partnerships with all of those, those destinations.
1: One of the things are those, those AI tools, and I've played with a lot of them, they're all really focused on go out and shoot a lot of video, and then we'll ingest it, and the robot will make a video for you. Like, we'll figure out what's best about this and do the, the, the editing and selection and assembly for you. TikTok is way more directed, right? It pushes you towards making a kind of thing, and then the, the norms of the platform of just what goes viral pushes people to, to copy and, and make responses. It's, it's a very different kind of video experience. Is that more of where it's going or is it kind of the just shoot a bunch of your flower shop and then the robot will make you a video?
2: I don't think it's either. And I think what you'll see and this, again, goes to the point of like video is not just going to be in one format for one platform. The way we thought about our video creation tool is sort of as a spectrum on one side. Yeah, we have templates. We have thousands of templates so that you can literally go in and be like, I'm a flower shop. I want the flower shop sale template. Like a template that just makes it super easy. And it'll still be customized and you can make the changes you want to make and make it your own. But you actually don't need to provide us with a ton of footage. We're going to really make it so simple that you can create that content. So that's one sort of spectrum. On the other side, we have people creating long form video content that they, they have a sense of the story that they want to create and they're storytellers and they want to be able to do that in a very nuanced way. And I think, you know, the reality is the technology, the tool itself can be flexible for that. And actually where it gets really interesting is our ability to understand what kind of content you're trying to create, what your end goal is, and then how do we actually use AI to recommend different ways to, cr- to optimize that video content. So Maybe it's you know a longer form brand video for your website that you want to chop up into short stories for Instagram versus TikTok, and you want those to obviously feel different because they're on different platforms. How do you do that all in one place? And I'll give you one other example of just the types of video creation we're playing with. We have a, a, an app on Shopify. I think it's the number one video making app on Shopify. It's really popular, but it basically allows an e-commerce store to say, hey, I have 10,000 products that I'm selling Vimeo will ingest all that product detail information for each SKU and automatically create videos for you that you can then edit or you can just take as is to put on your site because video increases conversion. That's a pretty broad spectrum of ways video is being used. It's not just the TikTok example, but if you think about a business like You want video on your product detail pages. You want TikTok videos. You want Instagram videos. You want video on your website. Like you want it everywhere. And so that's really, I think, the power of the platform we've built is that it's so flexible based on the types of video content and where you're distributing it.
1: You have that parallel uploader tool that lets you go to YouTube and and Facebook. Have you talked about sending the video to TikTok and Instagram Reels and all those other places as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. We're actively expanding the number of distribution touch points. And it's not just social media platforms, any marketplace that you might want to put your content on, really any destination. And because we don't view ourselves as competing with any of those destinations, like there's really no sort of example that I can think of of one where we're like, I mean, unless there's a platform that's, you know, fundamentally sort of against our values, like there's no platform that we would be like, OK, we wouldn't um, want to enable it. That the key is, is this a platform where businesses need to be in order to reach their customers?
1: When you think about that parallel uploader tool and helping creators perform better on all those platforms, the dynamics of those platforms are really different for video. So just from my own example, we published to Instagram, we published to YouTube, we published to, to Facebook. I think we published to Twitter. We have a really big Pinterest page that we don't know what to do with. If you have any idea what to do with that, please let me know. Yeah. But you know, it, for a Facebook video, for example, they're often silent. You have to hook people right away in the first five seconds. A YouTube video, that you know, every creator complains about this. They they all have to be ten minutes long to hit the number of ad breaks that are appropriate. They're like, stretched out. TikTok videos are like there's a hook and like wait for part two and like the literal algorithmic dynamics of the platforms are different. In a way that a parallel, like literally parallel, uploading the same video to all of those places seems like it won't be optimized. Is that like you're just going to stick some AI in the in the middle of that chain and and optimize automatically, or is that something you're pushing on the creators to do?
0: No,
2: that that is a problem we believe we can solve and are working to solve. So like. Today, it's it's not totally dynamic. We do know what the best practices are by platform. We share that information with our users, and we provide like recommendations and insights in the tool. But our goal is that in the future, you would say... I'm trying to get a message out there. I have a big product launch coming up. Um, I have a new story from The Verge that I want to get out there, and I want to use video to do it, and you would provide us with whatever footage or information you have, and you would say, I want to be on these, you check a box that says, I want to be on these five platforms, and we should be able to give you a version that is optimized for each and or at least give you why we tried to optimize it and then give you the flexibility to decide what you wanna do. But that is that is 100% in the realm of what we're trying to solve. And again, it's like exactly to your point, like otherwise, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna create bespoke content for every platform because that's a lot of work. And you know, big companies that have like marketing teams and production teams can do that today, small companies cannot. And so you have to make that automated and easy, otherwise it won't be accessible to all those businesses.
1: We definitely make Bistock so videos for every media, for every platform. Yeah, no, and,
2: by the way, so does every large company. And if you talk to yeah. most marketing teams, they'd be like, this seems not super efficient. And what happens for the smaller companies is then they end up having to choose. Then they choose, I'm only going to put my content on Facebook and not YouTube. And that is not in their best interest.
1: We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to dig into how Vimeo is approaching the OTT business. That's
3: over-the-top video, basically apps for TV platforms. Support for Decoder comes from Mint Mobile. Imagine you're at a very fancy, expensive restaurant, and as you're browsing the menu, wondering how you'll afford anything on it, you notice the filet mignon is a mere $10. At first you think jackpot, but then you immediately think, wait, what's the catch? Now, what do suspiciously cheap steaks have to do with your cell phone bill? Well, we're used to seeing quote unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers, and also thinking, what's the catch? But with Mint Mobile, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You can get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month. Go to mintmobile.com decoder. That's mintmobile.com decoder decoder cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com decoder 45 dollar upfront payment required equivalent to 15 dollars a month new customers on first three month plan only speed slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details this episode
0: is brought to you by
3: state farm you've heard it before
0: like a good neighbor state farm is there
1: OK, we're back with Vimeo CEO Anjali Sood. So it strikes me as we, we've been having this conversation that there's kind of two tracks here. One, most of the video that we've talked about in our flower shop example, and like honestly, for two people who have almost certainly never sold flowers, we've talked about this flower shop a lot. But the flower shop is making video to convert against something else. They're selling flowers, and they've got a market for flowers, and they want to capture more flower market share. And video is a marketing cost they can use to do that, hopefully in a sustainable way. Then there's the creator economy, where they're trying to monetize the videos. And their business is making videos and hopefully making money by making videos. You haven't really talked about that as much. That is the realm of YouTube and Facebook monetization, TikTok monetization. You can just like win the lottery on Snapchat now, which is very funny. Is that an area where you're trying to help people, or is that where you're pointed at the OTT subscribe to videos business
2: it, It's the latter you know for the most part we want you to we want to help you create great content and if you choose to monetize it on those platforms that is a way that we can enable that monetization. but otherwise our view is monetization can take a lot of different forms. It can be ad based. It can be free to view and then, you know, pay later. It can be um, a subscription, like a Netflix-style subscription service. And so our view is we just want to provide flexible monetization capabilities of all kinds on a white label basis. And I think that that is good for the creator economy. And, you know, again, the, you know one of the things that we've seen and been surprised by, actually, is how, you know, many examples there are of niche content that's never going to get 10 million followers, but that a small group of people will actually pay to subscribe to because it caters to a need that that isn't being served on these mass platforms. We have over a thousand OTT channels today. And I mean, you look at some of them and again, it's like a one or two person team making a lot of money creating this content because they found an audience.
1: I want to dig on the the OTT thing because it's fascinating, but let me put that that line about you know a two-person team making a lot of money on creators, and we want to give creators uh, monetization options. One of the first people I ever interviewed on Decoder was Chris Best, who's the CEO of Substack. And there's this huge media conversation about Substack and the passion economy and OnlyFans like, just down the line of new direct monetization for creators. You're almost there, but you are not quite over the line to, we enable direct monetization for creators, I do think a lot of YouTubers would just sign up for your service and let you take a cut and like monetize a bundle in that way. Is that is that just not a big enough business for you?
2: It's not that it's not a big enough business. It's that it's a different DNA as a company to be great at it. Because And, and this is something, by the way, I think Vimeo has experienced. Like we did at one time, we had this thing called Vimeo On Demand. Like We, we did attempt to kind of go into the space, but it's building a destination, and it means you need to bring audience to you and and there are companies that do that exceptionally well because all they do is live and breathe the mechanics of how to how to do that every decision you make on your website is optimized for that to be a destination that brings people in and I just, I think for us, it's it's not that we don't think it's an interesting business um, or it's not a big enough market, but we do believe that it's a very different DNA and set of incentives to be a destination versus sort of that white label tool set. And at least for us, we just think the opportunity that we are facing now is so exciting and big, like we don't want to deviate from that.
1: Yeah, but let me, let me push you. I don't, Substack isn't a destination, although I think sometimes they're often confused about what they are, but I subscribe to three or four Substack authors. Yep. My relationship to Substack is, is very minimal as a consumer. It's it's those people I care about, and Substack is their service provider, and they could leave. Yeah, You could see that for a YouTube creator that opens a, a Vimeo channel, and I just pay to it. Like You, you can already kind of get there with Vimeo's existing tools, but is that just not what you want to be out in front with?
2: No, I think if you frame it that way, you could say we're already doing that. It's not the exact same model as what you just described with Substack, but like we are basically that central hub that kind of mission control for the for the creator where they they can create all the content they need to create they can distribute it um on different places and channels and um and where where as much as we can be useful to them in doing that we are and so yes could we uh deviate from our subscription model and try and kind of shift the the approach yes we could and actually I will say on our OTT side we do we do have we've sort of experimented with models and we do have customers today where like we take a dollar per subscriber and that is actually one way in which you can help you know those businesses where they're only paying as they grow so that you know that model does exist that type of thing i think makes total sense uh, i just what we don't want to do is is tell a creator that the way they're going to make money is that we are going to bring them the audience, right? That's, mm-hmm. I think, the key that we don't want to do because that we just think that is a hard thing. Um, but can we, can we help them distribute to places where they can get audience? For sure. Can we provide them with tools so that they're better at attracting and engaging an audience? For sure.
1: So you're helping people make subscription video apps for platforms like Apple TV and Roku and Fire TV. At this point, I don't even know how many subscription services I, I pay for you're kind of running into like you're helping people address a a market that is at once super crowded, but it's very infancy and where consumers are already, they have no idea how much they're paying for. How big do you think that total market is for just a regular creator who's like, I'm sick of YouTube. I'm putting my videos on an app and you can pay me five bucks a month.
2: This is the eternal debate we've had. And candidly, for a while, I don't think we thought the market was very big. We assumed that, you know, you would there, that consumers would have sort of a, a finite number of of services and ways in which it, they'd want to to access content, and that there were there would only be a certain number of like companies or content creators that could act like a media brand. And honestly, every single year we are proven wrong around the size of the market. I don't think I'll, I'll say this. I don't think the OTT market is Vimeo's biggest market opportunity or our biggest focus. We have been very clear that we're really focused on helping large organizations, Fortune 500 companies use video to communicate internally and externally, and we're, and we're focused on helping every SMB, every small business, use video. That's where we see the biggest market opportunity. But I will also say that I think that the number is much greater than we would have realized. And like I think the stat that I r- read is that like there's a, I think there's over 2 million creators between like TikTok and YouTube and some of these platforms that are making over six figures in ad revenue today. I would argue every single one of them could have their own OTT channel, right? Um, And probably make more net revenue if they had an ad-based model and a direct to consumer subscription service, right? For the people like, where where they can say like, okay, here are my fans who are only gonna, or followers who are only gonna engage in free content, but then I actually drive people into my service for other exclusive content and will they pay five bucks a month? So I, I do think that that market is bigger than we realized. And we're I think it's we're in a great position to be able to serve it. But I also, you know it's not the main target that we we focus on.
1: Particularly with the the TV platforms, they have inverted the relationship between the consumer, their money, and who owns the interface. So before you would pay your cable company, they'd give you a cable box. They would then pay Disney and ESPN and all the other channels now you get a cable box for free you pay Disney and then they pay Roku which is totally backwards in my mind but that's how the market works Where does Vimeo sit right you I'm I run a YouTube channel I want you to make an app for us ingest our video we now have published an app in the Roku store Roku's like hey we want a cut of that is that my deal to make is that your do you help me make that deal how does that because that dynamic is so complicated right now.
2: It is complicated. We don't want to be econ- an economic player in that, but we do facilitate that for the OTT channel because that's the part that's like, again, if you're trying to make it easy for anybody, like you can't have them going and having to like negotiate with every single like platform. Like we do take care of that for you. We help you actually create the apps. So we kind of manage, I would say, the administrative side, but we are not trying to get in the to the, in the way of sort of the economic exchange there, and so that's sort of the position that we've taken. Um, it's really just how do we make it easy for you know the less sophisticated uh, content creator to be able to access these platforms. You know, I would love, by the way, to find a way for Vimeo to help these creators get better distribution and visibility on these platforms. But that even that is sort of a step removed from really what we're doing.
1: But but that's like a. I mean, that's that was very much my next question, which shipping a, an app to the Apple App Store.
2: Very different than actually getting people to see it.
1: Is very different than getting people to see it. It is loaded with pitfalls of whether Apple is going to accept your app, whether the ad tracking you want to use is acceptable at this moment in time, whether Apple is making a competing app that might push you down the rankings. It that just seems like a very difficult business. On top of oh hey, I want Siri to be able to find my content, and we need to build the technical hooks into the API. So if I publish an app with you, and like Apple releases some update, is that my, does my subscription fee just get me an updated binary for free, or do I have to go and like ask for it?
2: You're absolutely right. Your my whole team would be like nodding their heads right now because we have <laughs> literally we have a solutions team that like has to literally every time there's an update go and look at all the customers that we serve and help them navigate that. And we, the more we do it, we build automated, scalable tools to do this. That's the art of, you know, the platform that we have. But for sure, there is like in this sort of everything is evolving and we do have to then understand it and build ways to serve our customers. But I mean, we're doing it. The reality is, I said, over a, hun- a thousand channels across all these platforms, and we are there. We are there, making sure that when there's an update, they're compliant, they know about it. That's sort of more where the enterprise software side of what Vimeo yeah. does comes into play. And you know, again, I use I think the Shopify example is the right one. Like, there was a time when if you were like, oh, anyone can have an e-commerce store, you'd be like, what? Think about how complicated <laughs> that is. You have to manage all these SKUs, and you have to like, how are you going to have like, if you're a small like little store? suddenly going to be able to like charge whatever you want? And how are you going to manage the legal issues? And how are you going to manage the email and support side? Like, it's a really complicated thing. And Shopify solved it. And they made it easy. And they made it accessible. And that's a huge business. I, I think that's the kind of opportunity that we have.
1: Let me ask you, I think, what might be the single weedsiest question I've ever asked on Decoder. Who owns the developer account for an app on the uh, tvOS app for the Apple TV? Is it you or is it the The small business.
2: It's the small business.
1: Okay. So the flower shop has to sign up for like the tvOS developer. We
2: facilitate that for them.
1: Do you send the app update to Apple directly or do you send code to the flower shop who then has to turn around and upload it to the app store?
2: We're doing it directly but w- in partnership with the customer. So and honestly, like this is an area where things are changing. I think we have to continually look at our processes and how we work. But the goal our goal is to make it super, super simple on the tech- technology side. The way I would think of it is like if you want to be a successful, if you want to have a successful video business, there's like three things you have to do, right? You have to have the content, you have to have the marketing and you have to have the technology. Our goal is to basically take the technology piece, and take that away from your, you don't have to worry about it. We keep it super simple at an accessible price point so that all you have to focus on is creating great content and then marketing it. You have to be the one to bring the customers and market it yourself. We don't provide that today. But the technology piece is what we're trying to basically simplify.
1: I feel like the the split here, I'll come back to this again. We keep talking about commercial content, right? Where you're, you're making stuff to monetize another market. And then there's the actual creators creatives. They're trying to monetize the stuff directly. The example I would use is Taylor Swift just re-released all of her, she, she's re-releasing all of her albums. She just re-released Fearless. And the songs sound exactly the same, but because one is her version, that's what people are going to listen to. And that's still not going to make her the money, right? Like the Spotify payouts are still going to be small. What makes her money is like licensing that song to like 50 other platforms. I keep steering you towards the, how do you make creators more money? And you keep being like, that's great. It's a small business. We're working on it. The real thing is commercial content over here for large businesses. Is that just like an accurate summary of what I keep bouncing up against?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say that our focus is on primarily commercial content and that we are, our view of how we can help businesses use video is far beyond storytelling or monetizing that content. It is literally the idea of video being used to communicate with your workforce that's distributed around the world or share knowledge or train. We do think it's broader than that. And it, you know it, it's hard to say, oh, there's one market versus another here because I do think that we are helping support creators in many ways, but we are focused on, on video as a form of internal and external communication, not primarily entertainment and not mm-hmm. monetization. And I think that You know, if anything, the last year has really shown how much need there actually is for that. Um, And so it's a choice we've made. I think it's the right one. You know, it's funny, like I remember when when we started on this sort of SaaS journey and it was like the least sexy thing in the world (laughs) to be like, hey, we're not going to create original content. We're going to build the tools for others. Like nobody thinks that's as sexy, but it doesn't mean it's not a great business that can really have a positive impact.
1: We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, I want to know about what's next for Vimeo, including their upcoming plans to go public. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
1: We're back with Decoder. So we're on a podcast. We've only talked about video tools. I feel like I have to ask you about audio tools. Today, as we're talking, we just put up a feature about Clubhouse. There's Twitter Spaces. There's Spotify's Podcast Ambitions. There's Apple's and Google, like Another huge market where the, you know, the, the hashtag people on Twitter will tell you that audio is the future of all marketing. I just call them the hashtag people. That's my term. <laughs> the audience is free to take that and run with it. Are you... Looking at that as well, or is that market too small for you?
2: I would say I agree with you. I think that's a big market. I don't think it's a small market. We are not looking at it, and we are not looking at it because we believe in the power of focus, and we think the opportunity in video is huge and very unsolved. And for us to solve it brilliantly, we just got we got to be focused on it. Um, And so, you know, when I think about Vimeo in the future. I, you, I think you will see us. We will have plenty of these like sort of pivot points or decision-making points along the way. And there's always going to be interesting markets to go after. But for now, I just think the runway is so long on video specifically. And I think to be great at it, like you have to live and breathe it. And by the way, we'll always look at partnership opportunities where we think it makes sense. But you got to be, you know... Y- you gotta build the DNA to be great in an area that you're obsessed with. And right now we're very obsessed with video.
1: Right now you're part of IAC. Yeah. Which insulates you a little bit from external pressure. You are about to spin off. You're about to become a public company CEO. Public company CEOs historically get a lot of pressure to grow fast into other areas and to take all that capital that they that is infused by going public into growing really fast. How are you thinking about that shift?
2: Yeah. I'd say in two ways. One, I think I really do believe that the market for video software is so large and we are in such early, early, early days that we can absolutely grow fast by penetrating that market. And if we're not doing that, I think it's an execution issue. I don't think it's a existential strategy issue. And again, I think the pandemic has really demonstrated that, like literally (laughs) there's a billion knowledge workers in the world and every single one of them is now become a creator and the talent, you know, in a way that we never thought would happen. And so I, I would say if ever we were in a situation where there's pressure to grow faster, I would say then let's accelerate our efforts within video to penetrate that market. The other thing I'd say is, you know, it's funny, like yes, we're going public, and uh, for sure there's differences. Now you've got like a stock price and you've got quarterly earnings, and um, and that comes with a series of uh, different choices and pressures. But I do think, I hope, that the people that invest in Vimeo Understand that we are impatient on execution, patient on vision. This is a long-term play, and that's how we are going to manage the business. We are not planning to be profitable in this year. Like we are focused on really building the best solution and gaining share in the market because we have so much conviction that it is large and it's only going to increase from here. Um, and so, look, it's my job, frankly, as as CEO, to make sure that we we stay long-term oriented in the decisions that we make.
1: Usually, when tech companies say they're they're not planning on being profitable, they just want to build the best thing. What they are talking about is burning cash to establish a moat <laughs> yeah. and preclude competition. Yeah, yeah. But you have talked many times in this conversation about how you anticipate a flood of competition. Yeah. So, are you just trying to burn cash right now to to build some sort of competitive moat that no one can get over?
2: No, yeah. I, I think that's it's it's so on point that that is the risk. This is where I would say the IAC kind of discipline has probably served us quite well. Like we are very disciplined internally and I'm going to use like like annoying investor-y terms, but like our unit economics, like when we spend a dollar on marketing or sales, like making sure it's responsible and efficient, It's like super ingrained in how we operate. And I actually think we've done like a really, really good job in doing that almost to our detriment. I mean, we actually were profitable in Q4, for example, even though like we were trying to be aggressive in the market. (laughs) But, you know, we have a high margin business. We're improving our margins. We're spending our dollars more and we're building great products. And so sometimes that happens and that's like a great thing. It's just not what we optimize for. Um, And so, you know, I, I think for sure we will have to be disciplined but I think there's 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 examples of companies that have done this really well where you can be ambitious and you can try and grow, but what you're not doing is like, Throwing marketing dollars at a problem, right? What you're doing is trying to build a great product that's going to get natural adoption and organically grow from there. And I think that's you. I I would say you'll see our investments be very product driven. Our biggest investment is in R and D, and ultimately, that's how we think we're going to win in a sort of sustainable, long term way.
1: As you've thought about becoming a public company CEO, have you been? Have you like imagined yourself fending off the activist investor? Um. Because I would, I'm just telling you, like I'd be yeah, totally. like, I'm ready to go up against Starboard Capital. Like, let's do it.
2: Well, look, this is an area where we we do benefit from the fact that IAC, you know, while they're not, they don't own the company, and we're spinning off. Like we do have, I think, a really strong, we just announced our board, and I think we have a really good group of like long-term oriented um, folks on board. And even when we raised capital, we've raised capital um, in the last six months from a variety of investors, like very, very long-term horizons. Um, in terms of how they invest. And I think that's that's what helps, right, is, is just having um, the folks, the board, management, everyone around you very, very, like holding hands around what success looks like and success not being optimizing for, you know, the highest stock price at the day that you list or on a certain um, quarter. And so the way I think of it is less worried about like the fending off of the activist and more... How do I, I, I've been through ups and downs at Vimeo internally. (laughs) I know that like when things are great right now, things aren't always going to be great. Like I know that. And um, what I think about is like, what are the underlying signals that you're on the right track and how do I make sure that like, I'm always looking at those and keeping everybody, whether it's investors, our board um, or the team focused on those. And I think you're like, for me, those are things like, are people engaging with our tools? Are we actually making businesses more successful through video? and are we bringing video to more people? And if those things are happening, I think we can weather any storm. and I'm sure there will be some.
1: Yeah, what, what's the next storm do you think you need to weather?
2: I think we're gonna see competition for sure come in.
1: Does that wait does that come we've talked about it a lot abstractly. Yeah, you know, Adam Masseri was on Decoder a, a couple months ago. I feel like he they just keep missing it. like just build a video creation tool on Instagram that doesn't suck. And like more people will use it. Like they announced a TikTok clone and it doesn't have half the features of TikTok. Like no wonder people aren't using it. Do you feel that sort of like big tech competition? They're just going to copy you and it's 80% of the product, but that's good enough to, for people not to switch. Or do you perceive the startup competition?
2: Hard to predict, but my my best guess is I think there will be a ton of well-funded startups coming in the space that will try and compete, probably do a lot of like aggressive MA. You know, I think there's a lot of like VC and PE firms really thinking about that and try and kind of directly compete. And there, you know, it's really just about like we have a head start. We have to deliver on the product. It's all execution. We know exactly what we need to build. We have the team to do it. Like we just got to do it and we got to do it better than others. So there's that. And then I think on the bigger company side, I actually think more more of the risk may come from on the enterprise software side because I do think that's a big market. And, you know, there are players that have just like significant resources, <laughs> who can definitely throw money and engineers at problems. But I am comforted by the fact that, to your point, you can say you're going to build a clone or go after something, but it does, like the actual like institutional knowledge of how to do that well is not easy. And I've experienced this myself at Vimeo. One of the first things I, I did as CEO was we wanted to get into live streaming. We weren't in live streaming in twenty seventeen and we tried to build it ourselves. And we're a video company. Like we're we've been doing this forever. <laughs> and we like epically like were not set up to do it as well as Um, a company that we ended up acquiring that spent 10 years doing it. And so, you know, I appreciate that it's not so simple to just build something. Like you have to really have empathy and understand the user. There's so many things you have to get right. You have to have the right go to market. Like there's all these other pieces. And so I just think, you know, we just have to, we just have to execute better. And luckily we have the focus, we have the capital. I think we have the patience. So I think this market is ours to lose.
1: Anjali Sood, thank you so much for, uh, for being on Decoder.
2: Thanks. It was great to be there.
1: Thanks again to Anjali Sood for taking the time to talk today and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at verge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like this, please share Decoder with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Sophie Erickson, Andrew Marino, and Alexander Charles Adams. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot.